Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast, where the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knudsen, and Kelly Coyne, who is off this week. Our guest on this episode is Eric Rochow of GardenFork.tv. We talk about using pressure-treated wood for raised beds, making coleslaw, and Eric's adventures in deep frying. But first, I want to thank our Patreon subscriber, Dan F., and supporter, Michael W. If you'd like to become a patron and make an ongoing pledge to support our podcast and blog, you can find a link in the show notes and on the right side of our blog at rootsimple.com. And now my guest, Eric Rochow. Well, Eric, welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. Hey, hello. We're each other's mutual guests this week. Yeah, we were both desperate for friends, so we <laughs> called each other. <laughs> East Coast and West Coast, Eric. It's uh, it's great to be on, everyone. I've been listening to the Root Simple podcast, and um, it's it's kind of fun because I find myself talking back to you guys. Oh yeah, what what are you saying? Well, I usually am in agreement, but I, it's because I, I we've never met, but I think we kind of know each other now. So I'm like, oh, that that would be something Eric would say, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And then the voice of reason, Kelly, comes in, you know? Yeah, there you go. Well, some, one of these days, we got to, I don't know, meet in the middle of the country or something, like in Kansas, and do the show together. I don't know how we would do that. Well, I, I, I could come to L.A. I just need a reason. So if there's like some kind of some something to go to, I'll, maybe I could come out there. and. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We'll arrange some kind of high-powered junket for you out here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fly me on economy on... <laughs> Jet blue or something. <laughs> Economy. We have our own jet at Root Simple. You know that, right? We'll have it come pick you up. And it runs on biofuel, right? <laughs> runs on farts and hot air. <laughs> My neighbor actually has a methane biodigester. He has really? a dairy farm. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And uh, he runs the whole farm. He eats two houses, two greenhouses, and the barn with uh, methane. It's pretty amazing. Is that common? No. This guy is... Farmers in general are very smart people, um, and there I think there are some grants available for alternative energy kind of stuff, and he just took it and ran with it. And a lot of it's homemade, but it's the kind of thing you and I would both love to do. So That's amazing. I mean, I've heard of people doing that, but uh, never seen it in action. Yeah, the digester is about the size of a very large swimming pool with a big black plastic tent over it. Right. I, I did meet these a long time ago, met these Scandinavian artists who actually were doing the same thing. And they had kind of made, they kind of aestheticized the giant gas bag. <laughs> <laughs> it was like bright red or something. I don't know. but Well, you can do it with, um, with a metal or plastic barrel. And that's on my to-do list for, you know, Garden Fork videos. Is when I was a kid, Popular Mechanics had an article about this guy that made a biodigester out of a metal oil barrel and then to deal with the expansion he hooked up an inner tube to the barrel so that the sides of the barrel wouldn't you know push out or anything and that tube inner tube served as like an expandable contractible bladder so it was kind of neat wow you're gonna hook this up in brooklyn and have your own biodigester no i'll do it up up north because <laughs> my well my neighbors have cows so i can just oh. go over there and shovel the fresh manure so you have a very active uh, YouTube channel, 
And yeah, it's called Garden Fork. Just go to YouTube and type in Garden Fork. It'll show up. People should go to it. I love watching the videos. You have a great personality, and they're funny, and there's dogs, and, and there's some really great information there. But one that caught my eye, it's a recent one, is on pressure-treated wood um, for raised beds. What did you find out about uh, using pressure-treated wood? It's okay. Oh, yeah? Thank you. Yeah. So we no, can go now, yeah? The problem is, is there's... It's not an urban myth. What's that kind of folklore myths about urban legend? certain things? Yeah. Well, like I'll do a video about apples and I'm like, it's okay to eat the seed. You know, just eat the oh, corn, yeah, yeah. the seeds. It's okay. And people are like, no, no. Uh, if you eat the seeds, you'll die because they have arsenic in them. And the truth is that the apple seeds have trace amounts of arsenic and you'd have to eat a bushel full to die. And pressure treated wood until a number of recent years ago was injected with pressurized, and you know, they put in the pressure tank and it injects arsenic into the wood to keep the insects and funguses from eating it. Nowadays, the pressure-treated woods, almost all of them, unless it's some sort of spe- specialty wood that I don't know about, is treated with copper rather than arsenic. And it makes it more expensive, but I think it also makes it much, much safer for your average home user. And if I remember correctly, the older kind was sort of a green tint, right? And the newer kind is more of a earth tone. Is that how you tell the difference? No, it's flipped. It is? Uh, the, the older stuff was kind of brown, and the new stuff has a green tint. Because copper, when it oxidizes, oh, right, right, goes right. green. Oh, okay. All right, got that so, reverse. Yeah. That's right, right. So mm-hmm. Eric and Eric here are not scientists. We're not any kind of authority other than we have podcasts. But... From what I've researched, and I've actually found on when I'm doing searches, if I go to sites that are run by universities, I trust the information more, actually. And several universities have written about this, and I kind of boiled it down to we already use copper in vegetable gardening because it's a fungicide. You can mix a copper spray to spray your tomatoes or apple trees to combat funguses. So putting copper in the treated wood, it's you're not like you're not already introducing something that wasn't there already in the gardening world. And also, we are also exposed to much larger amounts of copper in our drinking water because most of our pipes are copper pipes. And maybe this is just kind of layman's chemistry, but that plus the fact that they've done some tests and the amount of copper that leaches out of a pressure-treated piece of wood that's used in a raised bed, I do raised bed gardening, is quite minimal. And if it really bothers you, don't plant plants along the edge of the bed. Plant them six inches in. So my take is that it's okay to use treated wood. Right, right. But you also had some other tips in that video, too, I remember, because if people are still paranoid about the pressure-treated wood, I, I think you had a suggestion about lining the inside of the bed. How do you do that? Line it with black plastic. Um, get like a three mil plastic and, you know, unroll it and lay it on the, you know, I use two by tens and just staple it to the inside edge and you will not, the copper won't leach into the soil. The flip side of that is that an organic gardening friend of mine said that you can, an organic, certified organic gardening, you can use the plastic one or two years and then you have to get rid of it and put new plastic in. Why is so that? I wonder if the plastic starts to leach its own things after that. Oh, okay. Now, you've also worked with non-treated wood, right? And which you treated yourself with linseed oil. Is is that correct? 
Yeah, and they worked really well. I I took apart these beds that I had built 10 years ago. They were two by tens, and I gave them two coats of linseed oil, and I let the linseed oil dry. Um, and linseed oil is one of those oils that does what's called polymerization, which is uh, a process that happens when you season your cast iron pans, actually. So it changes from an oil to a polymer. I can't say that's happening when I put it on the wood because we don't heat it. Um, but much like oil, like the great masters painted with oils, and when the oils dried, they lasted forever. The oil paint lasted forever because it had linseed oil in it. So I, I painted the insides of the boards, and I put them together, and those beds have lasted to this day. I took two of them apart because they were kind of getting a little ratty anyway, and the outsides were pretty good. The insides um, started to look like they had been eaten away by bugs, mm-hmm. but to get 10, 12 years out of a raised bed that's not treated, it's pretty darn good. Yeah, that's pretty good, especially in your climate. Now, why, why yeah, actually— Yeah, we have hot, cold, wet. Yeah, well, speaking of your climate, why do you use raised beds rather than just growing straight in the ground? Well, first of all, the the beds warm up faster in the spring, and we have a short season because we're in the northeast. Um, I can make the soil what I want it to be. You know, I have I have really good soil in my yard, but I wanted to, you know, I could do like lasagna gardening to create a, a super rich composty soil, and um, it's easier to weed and i have a two ruptured discs in my back so instead of getting down on my hands and knees i can literally sit on the edge of the bed and i can weed and it, it just makes it much much easier now you're also considering straw bale gardening right did i hear that Narn? yeah i want to play with that it just it kind of slipped off my radar earlier in the year but um i think i'm going to try that and maybe i can get like some sugar snap peas out of that or some salad greens or something also good for people with back problems. Yeah, it's like use what you got. And um, we actually did a raised bed in my buddy Brian's yard. Uh, he lives in a row house, much like I do, and we renovated it. And we had all these timbers left over that are dimensional lumber that are like a 100 and something years old. And we don't want to throw them out. So we painted them with linseed oil and built two raised beds in his backyard. And they came out great. So um, it's kind of a use what you got. You don't – you could you – could, I wonder if raised beds out of pallets. I'll have to try that and see how long those last. I tried that once many years ago, but you, it was tough to get the the wood off the pallet. Though I remember now, you have a pallet splitting tool, right? I got a I got a pallet breaker. It's a homemade pallet breaker that doesn't require any welding, and it works pretty darn well. There's a video about that, of course. I was going to say it's in your YouTube channel. That that actually was, I think, one of the things when I first discovered you that really amazed me was that that video because that it's not easy to break those pallets apart yeah i can't say i invented the pallet breaker but i made my own version of it the problem with breaking pallets apart is that the nails that are driven into them are a twist nail so um it's it's difficult to get the nail back out once it's been driven in so yeah I mean, I, I did build a raised bed out of pallets many years ago, but and it worked, but it was kind of ugly. That was the thing. It wasn't very neat. Yeah. Well, but, it just depends. Do you, do you, you know, I'm going to try and build one anyway. Go for but it. I, I, raised beds are also really great if you have contaminated soil, like my buddy Brian's house in Brooklyn. We actually did soil tests, and because he has a four-year-old, 
and chromium and lead were sky high. Yeah. And so that's my backyard as well. Yeah, it's mine, lead. Uh, So do you have any tips on building raised beds? Uh, Anything special about the way you attach the corners? You know, you can use just about anything to attach the corners. I've used um, cheap shelving, metal shelving brackets. You know, they're like white or black and you buy them at the hardware store. Oh, yeah. And they last. Well, one of the beds I took apart, it's actually in one of the videos, um, is I I show you where the metal shelf brackets are perfect and the wood is falling apart. And I actually found them on the street. I don't know if this happens in L.A., but in New York, when people move out, they dump everything on the sidewalk. Oh, yeah. And they had these really crummy shelves, but they were these really nice brackets. So I just unscrewed the brackets and took them home, and I knew I could use them for something. So when I built the raised beds, I used that. You can also just use um, you know, hardware, right angles, or you can use in the home improvement big, big lumber yards, there is a section of metal brackets for roof trusses. They're also sometimes called hurricane straps. But they have a bunch of different right angle brackets in there, and you could pick out some of those as well. It's really you're just joining the corners, and you can even use pieces of wood. I would suggest not. You know, you could use like a two by three or something and drill into it. But any kind of right angle bracket will work, and it will probably last longer than the wood itself. And then, how tall are your raised beds? Do you what what sort of lumber are you using for them? I use a two by 10, so that's about nine and a half inches high, nine and three quarters. But it seems like they should be taller. But the once you put the soil in there, first of all, you, lay, you, you put the raised bed where you want it. And then you lay cardboard on the bottom because that will kill out of the grass because you do sometimes get grass that grows up into the bed. And then I do either a lasagna garter method or maybe I have some soil already I want to add in. And then I just go from there with it. It's it's the biggest issue is sometimes when you're on a hill, you're trying to level it. I don't try and level mine. I just let them sit where they are. So, well, then that that issue though of filling it is kind of tricky because so you're so you're basically doing composting in place because I, I've noticed. I mean, if you try to buy soil to put in there, it can get pretty expensive. And the soil usually blows. It's yeah, such right. a roll of the dice. Yeah, it's just a bunch of wood chips. I'm lucky that my neighbor um, has a very large yard and he loves. Um, mowing it and mulch and mulching all the leaves and everything. Uh, uh-huh. And um, he, actually, I show it in a video that he has a pile, a leaf mold pile that is taller than me and about 12 feet in diameter. Which you're more than happy to take off his hands. And I just go over there and I, I have my, I have a quad in my little garden trailer and um, just drop it right in. Wow, <laughs> so. that's great. That's great. Well, there's another video that caught my eye in your YouTube channel and on your blog, uh, which is coleslaw, because it is that time of year, right? I mean, it's uh, we're all wearing our white seersucker, right, and and making our coleslaw. So, right. um, my white Carhartt. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have uh, any tips on on making coleslaw? Yeah, I love coleslaw. I'll eat just a bowl of it, you know, I'll, and then it's really good, you know. But the trick I actually learned from uh, Kenji of Serious Eats, who has that new book out called The Food Lab. And yeah, that's a great his, book. Yeah, I bought it. It's I just love macaroni and cheese as well. So the trick is to, you know, when you make coleslaw, be it a mayonnaise-based or a, a vinegar-based one, the next day you open up the container of the bowl and it's real watery. And mm-hmm. what Ke- Kenji came up with 
is to salt the cabbage before you make the mix. And you think, oh, this is going to be a big pain. It's really not. You, I run the cabbage through a food processor. You can box grate it if, you're like, if you like that kind of thing. But I'm about getting it done. And then you put coarse salt in there. And it's literally five minutes. And then I just – I press it into the colander, you know, my little – with the holes in it. And then you rinse it with cold water to get off most of the salt. And then you put it in a salad spinner. And that's – it pulled off like maybe a half a cup of water. Hmm. And then I made the sal- – it's a salad – you know, a simple mayonnaise kind of salad dressing. And I like to put in caraway seeds. And boom, it was crunchy and good. And the next day, it was still crunchy and good. It wasn't all watery. That sounds great. And what's what's so the dressing is again? What what's the dressing? Yeah, um, you're going to require me to use my brain here. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to look it up. So it is. I even put it on this. Actually, I have the recipe. It's cabbage, carrots, three tablespoons of sugar, three tablespoons of salt. That most of that salt is um, it washed away, right? Right, washed away. But the dressing is a quarter cup of mayonnaise, two tablespoons of cider vinegar a tablespoon of sugar, and a tablespoon of grainy mustard. I like mustard, so I put in more. And then caraway seeds, like a quarter teaspoon of caraway seeds. Was a, lot of, a little bit of caraway goes a long way as far as flavor. And some people have, if some, if some of your friends have um, intestinal issues, caraway seeds can cause problems, like diverticulitis that can cause really? issues. Really? I didn't know that. I like to make bread with caraway. Diverticulitis? Yeah. I don't even know what that is. Uh, I think it's an inflammation of the lower intestine. Really? Wow. I could be wrong about that, but a buddy of mine has any can have small seeds. I got it. I didn't realize caraway was a part of coleslaw. Is that a regional thing? I don't know. You know, I just kind of, it's always been in my life. I grew up in Wisconsin, so maybe it's a Wisco thing, you know, Hmm. Hmm. cheeseheads. I don't know. But mayonnaise and cider vinegar, and the key is sugar and mustard, I think. And people, I don't know, you know, sugar seems to have a bad name, but in a little bit of sugar kind of just cuts through there. And I think it really helps with cabbage. And you're a salad spinner proponent, sounds like. I, I kind of want one of those, but I think, think think the boss would be angry if I came home with a salad spinner in our the small Oxo, kitchen. The OXO brand, O-X-O, is the best, and they're relatively inexpensive. Oh, and yeah. They last forever. It's it's not a unitasker. It's a, it's a great thing. You can, you can wash your dandelions that you've picked out of the yard. Okay, you I'm going to use, use it, this is argument. Um, you can fodder. use it as a pasta colander. You know, you take the screen out and you can use that as a, a spare pasta colander. It's great for storing. I sound like a QVC pitchman here. Um, <laughs> it's great for st- storing salad greens. You know, you can, you can wash a ton of salad greens on a Monday and keep them all in the spinner. And because mm. the colander of the spinner is raised up off the bottom of the column of the spinner, any water that's collected on the leaves will drip off instead of staying on the leaves and starting to rot the leaves. So you put it in the refrigerator too, or is that just at room yeah. temp? Oh, okay. No, I have a refrigerator. We have that here in New York. So, <laughs> um, but no, and just, indoor plumbing. Oh. Yeah, the um, the spinner is great for storing greens. Oh, um, got it. Okay. Or really anything that you want to keep cold, but might be like wet, and you want to you want it to like, kind of drain out. Huh. So. Huh. You know, another thing that caught my eye on your, your YouTube channel, which just had me laughing and laughing and laughing, was the bacon cheese sandwich. Oh, that went kind of viral. <laughs> that was great. That's really good. You want to say something? About, yeah, look, I mean, I'm I'm vegetarian mostly, but if, man, if you'd had me over when you made that, oh, you know, because bacon, gateway drug, right? Come over so. the dark side, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Why don't well, you say it, something about that? I think it melds, uh, you know, the two major food groups, cheese and bacon. So <laughs> right. I actually saw, I think I saw it on BuzzFeed and I'm like, I'm going to make this thing. And my, uh, a big issue I have with a lot of videos is they don't know, they don't show enough about how to make the thing. They just say, oh, and here it is and it's done. And I'm like, how did you make that? Mm-hmm. Um, so the bacon cheese grilled cheese thing, I thought, okay, let's kind of do a garden fork on it. And I wanted to show that you need to cook the sides and you take some tongs and you, you basically make a grilled cheese sandwich and wrap it in bacon around front uh, side to side and top to bottom. And the bacon is fatty, so it sticks to itself, you know, like tape. And then you just cook both big flat sides and then you hold it on its edge like a steak, like you want to cook the fat ring on a steak. You grab it with the tongs and you cook each side as well. And then you got to let it cool off because the things are real freaking hot. And then you cut into it and it is, uh, the word is unctuous. <laughs> it's kind of like a deep fried almost texture, right? It's what it looked like in the video. Yeah. I've made deep fried Twinkies, actually. They taste really good, Really? Really? So you batter them? That's like a fair food kind of thing, right? Do you batter them and deep fry them? Yeah, the trick is you freeze the Twinkies in the freezer overnight, and then you, uh, I put a beer batter on them, and then I roll them in (laughs) cornflakes or Rice Krispies. (laughs) That's great. And uh, they taste really good. And that, you know, if you use a canola oil, that's vegetarian, so you could have them. (laughs) So do you have a deep fryer, or you just... Use your I just tub. used a Dutch oven, just a oh, big okay. Dutch, and you know I stuck like a. In, you only need like an inch to deep fry a Twinkie. <laughs> to me. So there's some deep frying experiments that go on uh, around the the uh, Garden Fork compound. Actually, I'm good. I should do another one because it's. I think deep frying gets a bad name, and a lot of the times people think that the oil, especially like with French fries, that the oil is infusing into the food, and I don't really think that's true. And of course, we go back to. Kenji in the food lab at Cirrus Eats, but you know he's the kind of guy that has the gram scale, mm-hmm. and so he measures the potato, the you know like a, a French fry before he deep fries and then afterward, and they calculate and then they measure the oil before and after, and the amount of oil that gets into a food is really minimal when it, with deep frying. Mm-hmm. When you put it in, all that bubbling you see is the water boiling out of the food, so. And the oil comes in just a little bit, but it doesn't saturate the food. Wow. That sounds like fun. Have you ever made donuts? A little off the wall question here. Yeah, donuts are great. We made some, uh, I have a video about cheater donuts. Oh, yeah. I saw that with the biscuit dough, right? You get Pillsbury biscuits that I think they're called Grands is the name. But you can literally take them and you pop, I love popping open that container thing. It makes that, that noise from childhood, you know? Right. And then you, um, I use an apple core, but you can just poke a hole in the middle of each biscuit, and then you literally fry them on each side, and they they puff up like a puff pastry, so it's kind of like a donut. And then um, you just sprinkle some uh, uh, really fine sugar on there or dust them with confectioner sugar, or you could put a little uh, chocolate glaze on there. And for making something out of nothing, you know, in about 10 minutes, they're pretty darn good. Done is better than perfect, did you say, right? Yeah, Totally. Uh, maybe we need to start a deep fried podcast or a deep fried meetup. <laughs> God. <laughs> um, well, is there um, anything you're working on for a garden fork any, at the garden fork labs uh, in the future here? What, what should we, uh, what will we be looking forward to seeing? 360 videos are coming. 
Yeah, we talked a little bit about that on your podcast. Why don't you say something about it on ours? We, uh, me and my, uh, uh, he's my, I guess he's my producer, Brian, who is a videographer. Um, we're invited to a YouTube workshop about shooting in 360 video. And we were so excited about it. Brian went out and bought an inexpensive 360 camera called a Theta, if anyone's interested in that, T-H-E-T-A. And we are shooting some 360 videos where you can watch us do something, but you can also, if you're watching on a smartphone, you can spin yourself around and see what's behind us and what's above us and what's below us. Um, the first one will be a beekeeping video. We're beekeeping on a roof in Brooklyn. And um, I mean, what we're doing isn't too exciting. We're looking for signs of the queen and the hive, but you can look around and go, oh, there's the cemetery and you know, in the way in the distance, you can see the Statue of Liberty and just kind of a, you know, Brooklyn rooftop kind of thing. That's a great idea. But YouTube is uh, pushing this as, uh, you know, kind of a new thing. It's it's part of virtual reality. And if you get the Google um, Cardboard, which is their, three, their, their virtual reality goggles that turn your smartphone into these $1,000 goggles that everyone else sells, um, it's even more fun. And you can get those... At, you know, you can find them around the stores or just send away for them. They're like a buck or two. I just got a pair of those and I looked up our address. And uh, what the funny thing is, is that you can see me in the garage uh, <laughs> in 3D. And then you can see a neighbor of ours taking the groceries out. And as you move down the street in 3D with the Google Cardboard glasses, you can see, like, the time pass. Like, I'm looking around. The dude with the groceries is pulling them out of the truck. It's very, very strange. And you look straight up in the air and see the giant palm trees and the sun. And it's really actually pretty amazing. It is wild. I um, Actually, my uh, neighbors at my previous address, I ran into them. They're like, Eric, Eric, you're on Google Maps. And I'm like, what? You know, because I'm a little... I'm a little uh, reluctant to like give out really personal information <laughs> right, like that. Right. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, you look at my old address, and I'm walking the dogs down the sidewalk <laughs> as the the Google car drove by. <laughs> That's great. Well, we're just about out of time, so do you want to say something about uh, your blog and where people can find you? you? If you just type in Garden Fork, I show up most everywhere. Um, I. My phone broke, so I haven't been on Instagram in a couple of weeks, but I'll be back on Instagram today, hopefully. There's the Garden Fork Radio Podcast, and then there's the Garden Fork Video Channel on YouTube, and then there's GardenFork.tv is the website, which is where um, everything, a lot of the text shows up, the kind of background information and you know links to other interesting stuff shows up, like uh, links to Root Simple, you know? There you go. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Eric. Always a pleasure, sir. That was Eric Rochow. You can find his website at gardenfork.tv. On his website, you'll find links to the Garden Fork YouTube channel and also the Garden Fork podcast, where I was also a guest this week. Thanks again to our Patreon subscribers and to all our listeners. To leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Rootsimple on Twitter. You can have our podcasts automatically downloaded for free by subscribing in the iTunes store or on Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, please share this podcast in social media. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 